Describing the sentiment of our culture, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. Every man for himself. Really? Is that our culture? It is, actually. It seems as if a life apart from Jesus Christ puts a man and puts a woman on a course to look out for themselves. Another phrase, not so descriptive, but very accurate, where people only care about me, myself, and I. What will do for them? And how will it help them get ahead? This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. You've no doubt heard it said, it's a cruel world. Life is not fair. You need to look out for number one and a host of other sayings that characterize our world. So where's the love? And is there any hope? Well, there is, but you won't find it by looking around, but rather by looking up. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Ed is here now to help us look up and find that hope that many are missing today. Take your Bibles, would you, and open them to the book of Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Hope from God's Lavish Love. This section is very special to me. It is a section of scripture, like I mentioned earlier, when I first taught Romans, we took many weeks to go through it. And we broke down all the elements. But today I want to focus on verse 5 of Romans chapter 5. But let's pick up in verse 1 for the context's sake. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone who would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we see in this section God tying hope with his glory and tying a development of hope through trials and tribulations. And not only that, he dies hope with love being poured out in our hearts. And we see that as a gift of grace that God would reach out to the ungodly like you and me. And I see no greater beauty on the earth today than a changed life. I love it. I love to see not only people respond to the gospel, but I get that that's a beautiful thing to watch. But what is more beautiful is to watch the ongoing transformation of a born-again person. To think of the stories that are just represented in this property, this building, the way people walked in, the way people tuned into the radio, the, the way people started and then to have that encounter and being born again and what God has done 
and is continuing to do through your lives. That testimony of his faithfulness that God desires and wants to save anyone and everyone. I mean, it totally blows my mind how God can take a person, any person. I mean, he, he could take a good, kind, moral person and change them. God can take a rebellious, hardened, tough person, a man, a woman filled with hatred and change them from the inside out. He could take a person that has been religious their whole life. I mean, think about it. Sitting in a church, raised in a church, learning the Bible at home, but never really connected to him. He could take that person and change them from the inside out. What Jesus said is that unless a man or a woman is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. As followers of Jesus Christ, that person, you and I, are now people of love. And to me, that's the most dramatic change. Now, of course, I share that because it's a very dramatic change for me. And I suspect it is for many of you as well. That when we were born again, what was greatly awakened in us, what came alive in us, when we talk about being dead in our trespasses and sins, not spiritually alive, but spiritually dead, and then we were born again, we become spiritually alive. The thing that you can look for the most is how God awakened in us a keen sense of love for others that we didn't have before. I mean, a real genuine caring concern for others. That's what Paul's talking about here in verse 5. The love of God being poured out. And if you'd like to write in your Bible, circle the word poured, and you can write next to it, lavished. It's just given into us in generosity, more than we could handle. And for that, I'm forever grateful. Because not only did love spark in my life, but it has grown over the years. I've seen it in my own life. Such a dramatic change for me, and I'm sure for many of you. If you're a Christian today, the love of God is in you. Not just around you. It just didn't come to you. The love of God is literally in you as God has taken residence in your life. It doesn't take, especially now, it doesn't take a lot for me to convince you that we live in a loveless world. I know many times we'll say that and we kind of condense it just to our own personal Western culture, but the world in general is loveless. I mean, they have phrases to describe the lovelessness of our culture. Like, like they'll say something like this, and if you really think about it, this is kind of a disgusting description, but they'll say in our world that we live in a dog-eat-dog world. And we're like, what? Like, is it just one big dog fight? Is it just one big, constant, angry, massively destructive relationship with each other? Well, in many ways, yeah, it is. Or you might hear the world described not as a dog-eat-dog, but you'll hear it described like this. Every man for himself. Really? Is that our culture? It is, actually. It, it seems as if a life apart from Jesus Christ puts a man and puts a woman on a course to look out for themselves. Another phrase, not so, not so descriptive, but very accurate, where people only care about me, myself, and I. What will it do for them and how will it help them get ahead? I remember even in my years working in the corporate world, they talked about climbing the corporate ladder. 
And that was something that was very uh, important to me. I wanted to, to take care of my family. And so I knew that in the position that I was in, that I could go to this level, be promoted here, promoted here. And I was a believer at the time. So my heart was to do it the right way, to serve and love others. But you know as well as I do that most people in the corporate world, when they want to climb the corporate ladder, they don't care who they knock off. They don't care who they step on. They don't care who they destroy as long as they get what they desire. That's our world. On top of that, the Bible says that in the last days, things will be so bad and so hard that the love of many will grow cold. Now, as you examine that particular passage in the Bible, it has an inference that that describes believers. And if the hearts and love of believers grow cold, what will happen in culture where there's no desire and no heart to help one another? Now, of course, because every one of us are image bearers of God and every one of us have been given a conscience by God, there is good in the world. Not good in the righteous sense of compared to God, but there's certainly moral good. There are certainly moral compasses. I'm not saying that that doesn't exist. But in general, we live in a loveless world. One that we fully participated in before we were saved. Our society is one where a man's word really isn't his word anymore. And dishonesty is not that big a deal to people. Well, they'll even look you in the eye and not tell you the truth and not have any pangs of conscience about it where you can't just shake. You know, back in the day, you could shake on it. And a man or a woman's word was their word. And even to those of us that follow Jesus, what does he tell us? Let your yes, he commands us, let your yes be yes at your own personal cost, at your own personal sacrifice. If you committed to something, then keep your commitments. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. It's a foreign concept in our culture today. I mean, you look at the lovelessness of our world as it promotes rank, wicked, evil, sexual immorality and godlessness, even to the youngest of young ages. There are leaders today, both in the church and outside of the church, not taking us toward equity and fairness, but they too have taken advantage of their positions. And when you hear of a leader taking advantage of their position, make no mistake about it, a leader taking advantage of a position is only taking advantage of people and hurting other people. I mean, what love is there when we're watching the news and we see a convenience store clerk murdered over a pack of gum? What love is there when we see a high school teacher molest one of their students? What love is there in the latest corporate directors taking their businesses into bankruptcy and emptying out pension funds of men that have dedicated their lives, men and women pouring in and now have nothing because of the leadership of the company. I mean, what love is there when those in government decide to make gateway drugs legal and accessible and easier to get by people? What love is there of people taking advantage of people. And I'll tell you this, as you begin to assess and remember, remember, remember I mentioned in an earlier study how important it is for us to see the world from God's perspective, not our own, and not any of the narratives that might be given forward by people that have an agenda. We have an agenda, and the agenda is the glory of God. The agenda is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we need to learn to continually see this world. And you may hear the phrase, your worldview, how you see the world from the perspective of God. You might have heard it said to have a biblical worldview. 
The understanding of a biblical worldview is to see it from God's perspective, how he addresses things, not how we address things. And here's how he addresses it. Here's God's biblical worldview. You ready? The only place you'll find true love is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. It is not available anywhere else. Listen to this. Turn over to John chapter, hold your place in Romans. Go over to John chapter 13 because I want you to see this in your own Bible. But it's just one of the sweetest, most encouraging verses in all the Bible. And if you're not careful, you just kind of read over it because you're like, of course, that's what God does. Of course. Same with, same with salvation. You know, when a life gets changed, when a life is transformed, that is an amazing, miraculous work of God. It's only something that God can do. You can't save anybody. I can't save anybody. I can't convince them. I can't change their life. I can't get into their heart. But God, it is a miraculous work of God when anyone is born again, when love has been poured out into their lives. And because it happens so often, because we see it so much, you know, we may just think, well, of course, that's what God does. Of course, that's what God does. You know, I was looking recently at Pastor Greg Laurie when he's gone online. Uh, he shared the, some of the numbers from their online experience. And, you know, it's in the hundreds of thousands of people that have been watching services with Pastor Greg Laurie, which he's just an anointed, gifted Bible teacher. And then when he shares, and this is how many people responded, you know, 5,000, 6,000, 10,000 people responding to the gospel, watching online, which is glorious and wonderful. But those are big numbers, aren't they? Thousands and thousands and thousands. And we're like, of course. And then maybe even for those of you familiar with the ministry of great glory, you're like, of course, that's how God uses them. Of course, you would expect nothing less. You would only want to see more and more people God using him to reach. As the years go by, the Lord uses him more and more. You know, I was thinking back even uh, in our time in Southern California, we would go and help and serve at the Harvest Crusades. And I was just at one not too long ago. I happened to attend one because I had to fly to California to teach. And we arrived in time, just in time, at the airport right next to Anaheim Stadium where we drove right from the airport and got to the Harvest Crusade right when it started. And it's just an amazing thing. I'd love for him to come back to Colorado. So we go to the Harvest Crusade and you know what's going to happen. There's going to be music. Stadium's going to fill, and Pastor Gray is going to go to the pulpit, and he's going to teach one of the most powerful and simple messages of the gospel that's relevant to whatever's going on at the time. That's exactly what he did. Then at the end, he's going to give an invitation. And you know exactly what's going to happen. There's going to be movement all over, the all over the stadium. The first people to move are the counselors. They're going to go down to the field, all into the outfield there of Anaheim Stadium, and they're going to prepare for the people that respond to the invitation. And then before you know it, all the grass of the outfield, I mean literally all of the grass is going to be filled with people. And, and I mean thousands upon thousands of people get up from their seat, come down, and they meet with a counselor, and, and they share the gospel, they make sure they understood what Pastor Greg said, and they prepare them for the future, similar to what we like to do here, except the numbers are very different. And here he is, I look down there, and it would be easy to look and go, well, that's what do you expect? That's how God works. He's still saving today and you're all excited and everything. But I want you to know that when God looks at that stadium, he sees one person at a time. He saves still today, one at a time. Thousands might respond, but God's salvation is a miracle in each person individually. And each person on that field represents a family, represents an apartment, a house, a townhome, represents a community. And they go home with the gospel, born again, 
the love of God poured in their hearts. You know, this love of God, by the way, this love of God is not kind of like the thought process we have normally with love. I know you Bible students already know this, but for the sake of those that are new to the Bible, there are different words used in the Bible for love. Just like you and I, we, we use love, but we mean it different ways. For the Greek language, they had different words to change the meaning. So you could say, you know, I love my spouse. You could say, I love ice cream. You could say, I love the weather. And you know you're meaning something totally different. But when it came to the love of God, there was no Greek word for it. They invented a word. And some of you are familiar with it, we haven't opened downstairs yet, but when you see downstairs, we put some new signs up and we've done things downstairs and getting ready for everyone coming back. And one of the things we did is we painted on top of the doors of our overflow room downstairs. It's now, we've already known it as that, but now you can see it says agape room. And the Greek word for this love of God is agape, A-G-A-P-E. The word speaks of self-sacrificial giving love. It speaks of a love that puts the other person first. And you realize that it speaks of a love that even transcends love for friends. Because it's easy to love friends. It's easy to serve friends. It's easy to help friends. But the agape love is not just love for the people we like, but it's especially magnified in the people that perhaps we don't like. Or as you look back, we're in John 13, I'll get there, building up to their Back in Romans, it says that God died for the ungodly. That's agape love. We might look at doing something for the godly, but God says, no, I love the godly and the ungodly. So because salvation is so common, we lose the excitement of it. And listen, because the love of God is so common, we lose the excitement of it. And you'll come to a passage like this in John 13, verse 1, and you just kind of read through it and go, of course, that's what Jesus does. Of course, that's what Jesus does. But you need to take it and personalize it. That's what Jesus does for me. So notice what he says. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, here's the most sweetest, beautiful passage in all the Bible. It says, Jesus, having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's agape love. Having loved those that he had in the world, he loved them to the end. He didn't quit. He didn't abandon. He didn't turn his back on. He didn't discard, dismiss. He loved them to the end. And you'll remember in the group that was given to him, his closest allies, there was a man by the name of Judas. He loved them to the end, all the way. And the Bible teaches us back in Romans 5 that in being born again, the greatest miracle change. I think of all those guys at the Harvest Crusade or even here, like when a person gets saved, they go home and they start to change. You watch it. They change. I know that not only do they change, but they start to change their house and their relationships and it's a dramatic change for some. When, when I got saved, man, it was change after change after change. Now that, now that God had given me direction in life and began to teach me what it was to oversee my home, to love my wife, to love my kids, to serve them, to lead them, to help them, like things changed. 
Now, I have to say they were pretty dramatic changes because I was, I was then and I still am now very much a black and white, hey, I'm all in kind of person when it comes to the things of God. I want to obey and I want to please God. And I've learned over the years, I think if I had the chance to go back and do it over again, I would have eased in some of the changes a little bit more. Uh, but God knew what we needed. And my family today, my home today is far different than it was before I was saved. Why? Because God poured out his love in me. It's the change that he led and he leads. And it's astounding to me how a holy and a righteous God would love us unholy and unrighteous. That's his heart. We've all been created in the image of God. And no matter where we've come from or where we're going, God loves this world. Remember in John chapter 3 verse 16? I'm certain that you've memorized it, so say it along with me. You ready? For God so loved... Okay, let's say it all over again. A little bit louder, because I know you got the mask on, so you got to go a little bit extra. A little bit extra. You ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. You think of that verse and you think, our connection to God started with love. That's the kind of love that connects us, that reconciles us, that forgiveness flows. And listen, hope flows from the love of God. I noticed too that in Romans 5, he ties hope not only with the glory of God, but with trials and tribulations. Because it's in the trouble that God is at work. It's in the trouble. If you're in trouble today, know God is at work in your life. He hasn't abandoned you. He's going to love you to the end. <laughs> His love to you is to the end. The question is, will you experience it internally? Will you experience it personally? You see, God is going to love you to the end. And he's going to pursue you to the end. And he wants to be in relationship with you to the end. And it all started with love. Our connection to God started with love and it continues as God is working. Notice in Romans chapter 5 verse 3 that trials and tribulations produce. God is working. What is he producing through the trials? He's producing patience or perseverance, I should say, or endurance, character. And listen, those of us in trial, God is developing hope in us. And this hope does not disappoint. This hope does not disappoint. Disappointment is tied, listen, disappointment is tied to expectations. So that when I expect something and you don't do it, I'm disappointed in you. God doesn't have wrong expectations of you and me. So he's never disappointed in you. He's never disappointed in you. Think about that. Your father in heaven, he's never disappointed in you because he knows you. And he knows as a dad what you need to grow and mature. But we often are disappointed. We're disappointed with each other, and we often are disappointed with God. Only because I believe we've stepped outside of love and stepped outside of hope. Because the Bible says hope does not disappoint. And remember, hope is not a feeling. Hope is not a decision. Hope is a person. Hope is found in our faith in Jesus Christ through the power of the gospel. The greatest display of God ever to see a person born again. To see a person go from loveless to loving. From ungodly to godly. To me it's powerful and to think that God is overflowing us with his love is amazing. Amazing indeed. 
And we'll hear more about this love that gives us such hope next time when Pastor Ed Taylor returns to Abounding Grace. In the meantime, tie your hope to God's love. Doing so will assure you're not disappointed. And remember, you can access any of our studies in the series, Hope is Contagious, by visiting our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com or through the app. Look for the app by searching for Calvary Aurora. You can also watch the live stream from Calvary Church in Aurora through that app. These are difficult, challenging times we're living in, and we'd like to offer you a book that can be a real encouragement. It's Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament. You might think of lament as how we bring our sorrow to God, but this is often a neglected part of the Christian experience. Learn how to vocalize your pain and wrestle with sorrow as you move toward deeper worship and trust in God. Author Mark Rogop explores the Bible through the Psalms and Lamentations, inviting you to tap into God's grace and mercy that He offers in the darkest moment of your life. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, the number is 877-30-GRACE. Please remember us in your prayers and giving to the Lord as you're able. People need to hear about God's abounding grace right now. And with your help, we can make that possible. You can make a secure donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We'll return to our series, Hope is Contagious, next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 